0: Yeah, that's good, ain't it? I was wondering if he was going to step it down. That's one of my favorite things. I don't know how to explain what that is, but sometimes I'll say, hey, you know when we get to the end and we do those and you step it down and you play notes we hadn't sung? And they're like looking at me going, I don't know, that's the way the drummer communicates it. I don't know, that's the best I can do. Uh, Sometimes it's good to just slow it down a little bit, isn't it, and uh, just soak it in. You know, as I was thinking about um, the the... Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You know, and I just, I'm, I'm always running stuff through my theological lens. You know, I'm always thinking, all right, is that really what we think? Is that, so I'm always doing that and picking at songs and whatnot. And I think it's both and. I mean, I think we want the Holy Spirit to have control of the service because this is the pep rally, right? This is when we're, Charged up by being with one another and being in His presence together, but you know what? The Holy Spirit is present each and every place that a follower of Jesus is, because He indwells us, and that is good news. We are never, uh, we we are never away from God's presence. And the Scripture tells us in Romans that there's no height nor depth, there's no no principalities, no powers, no anything that can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. How is that possible? Because He's represented in the Holy Spirit who is present with us and we carry Him everywhere we go. And by His grace will follow him where he leads, right? Because that's what we're talking about the last couple of weeks as we're coming to the conclusion of our series in Galatians. Maybe you're excited about that. Maybe you're a little sad about that. Maybe you're enjoying the, the book of Galatians. I'll tell you, it's not the easiest book to preach because there's so much repetition. But anywhere you see repetition, you you need to recognize that if the author of the scripture is God himself, if he is inspiring the writing of his word to all those who will ever read, then if it's repeated, you got to think, well, God must think it's pretty important. And so we just pressed on, we pressed through, and we're excited about it. So we're getting down to the last of it. It's the last chapter. And I just want to remind you what we've studied. I know I do this every week and I do it way too long, but I promise you my introductory reminders are just one page. So let's do this. Paul says, number one in the book of Galatians, Paul defends the authenticity and the exclusivity of the gospel that he preached. That's a pretty bold thing for Paul to do, to say that this is the gospel and it's the one that I've preached to you. And anything different that you've heard about Christ and how we are to relate to God through Christ, anything else you've heard, if it's not in line with what I've preached, then it is false. That's pretty bold. But God himself gave the gospel to Paul, and Paul was preaching exactly what God had revealed to him. And in fact, we can do the exact same thing. I can say not that the thing that I say is authentic and everything else is false. But when I hold God's word and I say what God's word says is true and everything else is false, that's the same thing Paul was saying. So he started off by defending the authenticity of his gospel and the exclusivity. Nothing else is the gospel. Number two, he defined the gospel in terms of justification by faith. It's the first time he used this word justification, that, that declaring righteous by God those who by faith on the finished work of Jesus crucified and risen in our place and for our sin, we are justified when faith is exercised on the gospel. And he defined it in terms of justification apart from the works of the law in saying that doing the law of Moses, keeping up with the law requirements, requirements of Moses will not do anything for you as far as your salvation is concerned, because justification doesn't come by works of the law. Then he moved on and Paul contrasted, well, what was the purpose of the law of Moses for the Jews? And he contrasted that with its disconnection to the salvation that comes to everyone by faith alone in Jesus. Basically, Paul says, the purpose of the law was to keep everyone corralled through those periods of time while they were waiting on the coming of Messiah. It was a, it was a fence, if you will, to keep God's people together under one thought, under one mind, pursuing the holiness of God while they waited on the ultimate sacrifice. When the ultimate sacrifice came, there's no more reason for the law of Moses for the Jews, but especially not for the Gentiles. Then Paul declares the freedom that comes from God, the freedom he supplies to all his children by faith alone. He says, when you're saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus, the prison doors are open. You are free to follow God. You are free from any codes or rules. You're open to pursue him and his purpose for you, and you are to live in complete an absolute joyous freedom. He says in chapter five, verse one, for freedom Christ has set you free so that you might be free in him. We know in the gospels it says, for whoever uh, the son has set free, he is free indeed. Then Paul goes on to define the extent, the purpose, the power and the production that comes with that freedom. That has been granted that God supplies to all of His children. What's the extent of it? It's unlimited freedom. What's the purpose of it? To give us the opportunity to walk in the relationship that God desires for us. To give us the opportunity to walk in the, in the opportunities that he has laid before us. Uniquely having gifted us for a specific purpose in his call on our life individually and as a body. What's the power? It's the Holy Spirit that keeps us in line, that, that keeps us from using our freedoms as an opportunity to indulge our fleshly desires. He's a, he's a governor, if you will, that will lead us in the way that we're to go. And he empowers us not only to deny ourself, but to accomplish what he wants for us. I know sometimes you think about that one of these days I'll be able to do what God intends for me when I get grown up enough in my faith. Because don't we think like in terms of schooling, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And most of us, if we're going to be honest, haven't grown up yet because we're not doing the thing we thought we would do when we grew up. That's not the way it works with our relationship with God. As soon as we are in the family, God wants to use us. Are you in middle school today? God wants to use you in middle school to the absolute maximum that he desires. Are you in high school? God wants to use you to the max. You're not waiting till one day you're prepared. God wants to use you today if you'll follow his lead in college you don't have to get that degree before God uses you are you married you don't have to wait till you've been married 10 years before God uses you in the matter are you are you at work you don't have to wait until God gets you to this no God wants to use you now and he's equipped you and he's empowered you to pursue him and that is what God wants for our freedom and now in chapter number six, Paul is going to apply this freedom to everyday life. He's going to apply it and uh, he's going to do it in terms of loving service. Let's look back to just kind of get a springboard. Let's look back at Galatians chapter five, verse number 13. This is what Paul says. He says, for you were called to what? Freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh But through love, serve one another. You've been called to freedom. And here's what I want you to do with that freedom. Don't serve yourself, but through love, serve one another. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, Paul is going to apply this freedom that really the whole book is about the freedom we have in Christ And he's finally getting to the chapter. Each week we preach a little bit of Galatians and then we try to apply it. Paul preached for five chapters and now he's applying it. And he's saying, here's what it can look like When you, through love, use your freedom, not for yourself, but in service of others. And he's going to break it apart into two different aspects. In verses 1 through 5 of chapter 6, he's going to talk about how we use our freedom in service to those who have fallen down. Verses 1 through 5. Then verses 6 through 10, he's going to talk about how we can use our freedom with our resources for the benefit of others. So how we can use it in terms of the relationship we have to those who have fallen down and then how we can use it in service with our resources to others. So we're going to look at verse 1 through 5 today and then next week 6 through 10 and then the following week we will conclude our sermon series hashtag freedom. I think my youngest son is the most excited about that because he keeps asking me, are we doing something new? So in three weeks, we'll do something new by God's grace. Verse number one of Galatians chapter number six. We're going to read all five of these verses and we'll go back and comment on some of these. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the opportunity that we have to look and to learn. And by your grace, we will apply it to our life so that we might follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, who is the author of this very word we're reading today. And we thank you. We love you. We look forward to what you're going to teach us today. First, in Jesus' name, we pray. Now, by said we're going to look at three words today. There are three imperative verbs. Okay. What is an imperative? Imperative is do this. So when a dad says, turn off the light, that's an imperative. That's a command. If you will go turn off the light and you, you know, if you don't turn off the light, then it's a, are you going to do what I ask you to do? So anytime we see imperatives in the scripture, that's God saying, do this. So we have to pay very close attention. These three or these five verses, there are three imperatives. The first imperative is found in verse number one and that's the word restore. The second imperative is found in verse number two. It is to bear. The third imperative is in verse number four when it says to test. So restore, bear, test. We're going to swap them around just a little bit. We're going to keep the word restore because that's going to make sense, but we're going to use the word for uh, bear. We're going to call that invest. So restore, invest, and then that word test, we're going to use part of the definition of that word, which is examine. So today we're going to try to apply our freedoms through the terms of restore, invest, examine. Those are the things that God is saying to us. While there are a number of ways we could apply this word or these verses, let's stick as much as we can to the context in order to understand it. First, restore. Look what he says. Verse number one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, don't forget, in the context of of the Galatian people. They are, they are being, uh, deceived by those who have come in after Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel, after they had received the gospel, and these people of Galatia had bought into the lie that some, for some reason, you need to start keeping the law of Moses in order to make your salvation complete. It's faith plus the works of the law. And Paul knew that was false. And so he is communicating to people who have been caught in a theological trap. In fact, if they were embracing that I come to faith alone in Christ, but I have to add the works of the law, then they were adding to the gospel, which by its very nature is a sin. And they were caught but that doesn't mean that all of the sins that this verse is or, or responding to have to be that we're caught in the trap of believing an addition to the gospel. It could be anything. In fact, in the verses that are previous to it in the previous chapter, 19 through 21, it talks a whole litany of sins. They called them the works of the flesh. And these are the things that we produce in and of ourselves. If left to our own design, we will make a mess of our life. And, and, and he did it in terms of sexual sin and religious sin and then relational sin. So while you might not have found yourself committing or falling into all of these, you've probably found yourself falling into some of them. What Paul is saying is, is that God will lead us by the power of his spirit. He will lead us in the way that he has called us in the way that we should go. But we are fully capable, like a bass in a lake, of seeing that little flicker off to the side and going to see what that thing is and reaching up and biting that thing only to discover there's a hook on the end. And we find ourselves, what, caught in a trap. So Paul is saying, look one of the best things you can do with the freedom that God has given you as you are following the leadership of the Holy Spirit is to restore those who have fallen into sin. Now, let's break this verse apart and let's just look at some of its components. Number one, notice the word. It says, brothers, if anyone, if anyone is caught, do you realize that anyone means everyone is susceptible. You know, as we see people falling into sin, we can fall into the trap of that would never happen to me. And I would be willing to bet that all of us have watched the news and have seen something about someone being pursued or prosecuted for some heinous thing that we say, man, I would never do that. Paul says, if Anyone, and, and notice here he's not talking about the world, he's not talking about your neighbor who is not a follower of Jesus and is caught in all kinds of sin. He's not caught in sin, he's imprisoned in sin. She's not caught up in the muck, she's imprisoned, and she can't get out, and you can't let her out apart from. The receiving of the gospel of Jesus crucified in her place for his sin. So we're talking about those in the family, brothers and sisters, and understand it can be anyone. There are some that get caught in sin that we have held in high esteem, pastors, missionaries, relatives that have lived such a clean life in front of our eyes, and we can get so disappointed, and, and it's going to happen. But you need to understand that any one of us can get caught in the trappings of sin. Anyone. Paul says we have a responsibility to, dis- to restore. I about said destroy. We are responsible to restore everyone who is caught in sin, that anyone turns to everyone in our position from our lens. And notice what he says. If anyone is caught in any transgression, anything, you you know, there aren't transgressions that you go, wow, you did that. You got caught doing that. Whoa, I got to separate my, I I can't even hang with you. Paul says, if any one of us is caught in any transgression and this word transgression here is it's primarily pointing to the breaking of God's law not the breaking of your rule not that you did something that I'm not pleased with and I got to help you out of that into my light no this is when someone knowingly or unknowingly transgresses the word and will of God and they're a brother and it can be anything Any one of us caught up in anything, this idea of being caught, it's a word meaning ensnared like an animal who's been caught in a hunter's trap. You're caught up in it. It's not like the person is just playing with the snake and we're looking at them going, why in the world would you play with that nasty thing? And if you're one of those folks that play with snakes, then God bless you, because I don't get it. But why in the world would you play with those things? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who's fallen in a pit full of snakes and can't climb out because they're caught in it. Sometimes we, sometimes we use our freedom as a way to, with conceit, look down on people. Who are caught in sin, like somehow they could get themselves out. There are addictions in this world that people get caught into that, you know what? They just can't get out of. And we look at them and go, well, you just, bless God, you just need to quit that. And that's all well and fine. Sometimes they can't, they don't know how. And they're caught in something that has snared them. And one of the biggest outside of drugs in, in our time right now is pornography. And based on the statistics that are general, there's probably in our group of about 100, 125 folks that are here. But when, when we've got a crowd our size, probably about 12 to 15 folks right here. Hooked on pornography. And nobody knows it because they keep it hidden and they got it well disguised. And with the advent of the smartphone, I mean, you can clear your history and you ha- you're hooked. Any one of us can be hooked and caught in anything what are we supposed to do? The Bible says that those of you, verse number one, those of you who are spiritual, what does that mean? Well, a lot of times we grow up thinking that the real spiritual ones are the ones who are here at church all the time. They're the ones who are always at church. They're here early. They're last to leave and they carry the biggest Bible. Their Bible is enormous and it probably causing them back trouble. And they know the verses, they know the addresses, they can tell you the names of all twelve apostles, they can, they're the fastest to say the books of the Bible in order, and some of them can even say it backwards in one breath, and they must be the real spiritual persons. You need to understand spirituality is not measured in how much stuff you can do, how many things you can juggle of church things at one time. Spirituality we've already learned is dependent on whether or not you are walking, you're living your life in accordance to the leading of the spirit or the leading of your flesh. That's who are spiritual, those who are walking by the Spirit. And if you're walking by the Spirit, what do you discover? You discover that the Spirit is producing things in your life. And it looks like love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, and the list goes on to nine. Those of you who are walking by the Spirit, when you encounter someone... Who has gotten caught in a transgression, you should restore them. Now, this word spiritual, while it does not consist only of those who are in church, how connected we are to the body is also an indicator because the Spirit's not ever gonna tell us to disconnect from the body. Does that make sense? So while it's not a litmus test for if you are spiritual, it can be an indicator that maybe you're not. Who's walking with God in the room today? You know. And, and it's not okay to say, well, I'm not walking with God right now like I should, so I can't be a part of the crowd that helps those who are called. We don't get an out like that. We've been what? Called to freedom. And that freedom is about following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to lead us where we're to be, when we're to be there, and to accomplish what he's called us to do. He's not called us to freedom, to indulgence of the flesh. So it doesn't give us an out to say, I'm going to have to sit this one out, Pastor Kevin, because I'm not really as spiritual as I'd like to be. You'll never be as spiritual as you'd like to be, but you're never given the opportunity. I'm just going to sit this out, let somebody else play for me for a while. God goes, oh, no, no, no. No, you need to be spiritual. And your spiritualness is determined by how much you're following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And some of the indicators of that are whether or not he's producing love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, and so on. Those of you who are spiritual should restore Anyone who's fallen into any transgression, what's this word restore means? It's a word that's used in Matthew 4, 21, where it says Jesus was walking along the shore and he noticed about four guys who were working with their dad and working with their partners and they were fishermen and they'd been fishing all night and they were sitting on the side of the, of the shore of the lake and they were mending their nets why were they mending their nets? Because in the exercise of throwing the nets out and bringing them in and dragging it over the wooden boat side and the metal and the, and the, and the, the, the nails that were in it, it caused those, those little cords in those nets to become weak. And when they're weak, they would break and the fish would swim through. So at the end of a fishing time, they would mend their nets. It'd be very similar to those of you who are hunters. You come back home after a, after a long hunt, successful by God's grace. And what do you do? You clean your equipment. You bring it back to its place of maximum functionality. It's broken or it's dirty. It can't be as effective as it will be when it's clean or mended. Paul says, those of you who are spiritual, who are walking with God, need to recognize those that get caught in sin, and it can be any sin, And you need to use your freedom, motivated by love, to help restore them. Be a part of mending their life from its broken position to the place where it's functioning like God wants it to function. Does anybody want any of your brothers and sisters to be broken nets that can't catch fish? Anybody? Anybody go? You know what? I really was hoping that uh, you know Dan would go through a season where his net would be broke and then he can't catch even. That's just silly. We all want one another to be functioning at their maximum. But I wonder how many of us use our freedom as an opportunity to step wade into the life of those. It's making functional again those who are caught can't get out and need to be out he says you are who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness i'll take you back to last week when we went going through the fruit of the spirit and we got to gentleness we said what is gentleness and i defined it as humility in action Humi- gentleness humility in action being able to come to someone step down on their level And be real with them. Be be on the same plane with them. Whether you've got many letters behind your name because of many years you spent in school, or whether all you've ever done was work a job that will never amount to anything as far as the world is concerned, you come to one another on equal ground with gentleness, a humble mind, knowing that you're not better than them and they're not below you. Sometimes when we're caught in stuff and we can't get back, we know how it feels when people come to us and dog us because of where we're at. Speak to us like somehow we want to be in that trap. Now, we may be in that trap because of our own actions. and We may not know how to get out. We might not even have tried to figure out how to get out. But you know how it feels when someone comes and makes note of your your caughtness but then moves along not wanting to offer any help we know what that feels like and unfortunately i think probably many of us have been on that giving end paul says you need to step down and with a spirit of gentleness you're you're walking with god and you know that they're caught in sin you need to help restore them but with gentleness motivated by love Then he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. You step down to them. You're not caught in the thing that they're caught in. And you step down with a spirit of gentleness and and, and you're wanting to help restore them to functionality. Not, not, Not berate them, not put them in their place, but you're truly earnestly wanting to help them be functional. So that they too can follow, again, the leading of the Holy Spirit. You do it with a spirit of gentleness, knowing in the back of your mind, not this would never happen to me, but knowing that you could just as easily be caught in that trap. Or, while not that trap, maybe any other trap. Because you know he said if you're caught in any sin. So maybe their sin is not your sin. But you got one. And the jaws on that thing will clamp around your leg just as tightly and painfully as the one they're caught in. So Paul says when we restore, we need to keep this humble mind of a a spirit of gentleness so that we can help them to be restored and that we keep in mind that we too could be in that same situation. That's how God wants you to use your freedom. As a part of running after God, when God stops and draws your attention to a brother or a sister that he wants to be active in and says, I'm going to do the restoring, I'm going to do the fixing, but Kevin, I want you to wade out into the muck that they're caught in and be an instrument of mine to help pull them out. We're not the one restoring, but God's wanting to use us as his instruments of restoration. So what do we do? We have to wade out into the muck. We have to get dirty. We have to get messy. Maybe we'll have to roll up our sleeves and be involved in something that we thought, how could I ever even speak to this? This doesn't, if anybody finds out that I'm trying to help a brother who's caught in, you fill in the blank. Yeah, that's exactly what God has called us to do, to wade out into the junk, the muck, the mire. And help them restore. How does God want you to use your freedom? By restoring the brother or sister who's caught. And then he moves on to verse number two. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are 50 plus one another's in the New Testament. In fact, I got a list right here, but I'm not gonna go through all of them. I just printed it off because I wanted to see how many that this particular person, Carl F. George, thought that there were. There's some that... Overlap one another. You go, well, maybe there's not this. He's got 59. Well, maybe there's some of them are love one another twice, and you know, you don't have to count them the same time. If y'all want this, list, you can have it. Bottom line is that we're consistently being told by God as his children to be involved in the lives of one another, to be invested. So, not only are we called to use our freedom to restore, and we are, we're called to invest. Because we can never restore if we do not invest. What does he say? He says, bear one another's burdens. Now you hear that verse quoted all the time. And if you don't know the context of what's going on, you don't realize that the burdens he's calling us to help bear are the sin burdens that our brothers are caught in. You see, this is not a one-time conversation that you go sit down with your brother and sister and go, look, I'm going to set the release on this trap. I'm going to give you a verse and I'm going to tell you what God thinks and I'm going to push the lever and let you out. Brother, you better get back on. No, No, this is bearing one another's burden. This is opening the trap. Bandaging them up, helping them to walk, walking with them, reminding them that the trap is there. It's investing, it's coming up under the heavy load that someone is bearing. Now we can apply that to when we have situations that arise. And and thank you, Susie, for reminding us about what happened at the at the the, the, the daycare. And we can we can bear her burden, we can help her carry that. Maybe some of us could have done a better job of that, of coming over and shop backing or whatever. We can do that kind of thing. But in context, he's talking about bearing under the sin burden that our brothers and sisters are caught in. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't want to dirty ourselves with the sin burden. In fact, it's what he says in the next verse when he says, for If anyone thinks he is something, verse number three, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Sometimes there's a burden that needs help bearing. There's a brother who's caught. There's a sister who's ensnared that needs restoring. And we walk along and go, well, would you look at that? Mm -mm -mm. What a shame. I mean, really? And we walk along like the Good Samaritan story when the priest came by and saw his countrymen hurting and looked, and what did he do? He passed along on his way. And then what did the Levite do? The Levite's walking along and seeing that and going, oh my goodness, he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. I better get home. Sometimes that's what we do, and in conceit, we elevate ourselves and the hurt that our brothers and sisters are going through fuel our own pride that we're not caught in that trap. And we walk away thinking like we're somebody because we're not caught in that trap. And you know what we're doing? We're walking along carrying the trap that we've caught in that we think we're something when we're nothing and you know what we are we're somebody who needs restoring by another who's walking with God we got to invest in one another we're going to bear one another's burdens it's got to be intentional we've got to step in there and we've got to bear it this burden word is distinctively a heavy load something that weighs down or hinders And when we do that, Paul says, we fulfill the law of Christ. Well, man, what's the law of Christ? Let's go back in, where's my verses? Oh, they're there. We go back to John chapter number 13, verse 34 and 35. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, a new command, a new law I give to you. You've not heard this law before. This doesn't have anything to do with Moses. A new law, a new command I give to you that you love one another. Love one another just as I have loved you. How did Jesus Christ demonstrate His love for us? He did so in this while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. At our lowest, imprisoned in sin, Jesus set aside God the son set aside all of that glory and godness attribute that he had the right to maintain. He set it aside and stepped into our world gentle and humble in heart so that he might come to us and with the key of his blood open our prison doors and set us. He waded out into the filth of your life and mine so that he might restore us. He invested everything. God the Father invested everything. God the Holy Spirit submitted to everything. For what purpose? So that you and I might be set free. And how does God want us to use that freedom? By helping our brothers and sisters when they get caught back up in sin. And to do that, you've got to invest. Now, shameless plug. This is a shameless plug. I'm not ashamed to plug this. In about three weeks, we're going to start life groups again. And I'm going to tell you, I love you. You can come to church every week and never truly know the folks that you are in this body with. You can do that because you can come in as the songs are starting and you can be one of the first ones out and never know the folks around you. And if you don't know the folks around you, you're not going to love the folks around you. If you don't know love the folks around you, you're not going to help bear their burdens because you're like, well, I don't know them and I don't want to overstep my bounds. That's one of the reasons we have life groups. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says at North Point, they don't do life in rows. They do life in circles. Because in circles, guess what's happening? I'm knowing you and you're knowing me and you're hearing my story and I'm hearing yours and I'm hearing your struggles and you're hearing mine and it's transparency and we're doing life and we begin to realize, wow, you're caught in that. Brother, let me help you out. You know where they go, well, you know what, Kevin? Thanks so much for helping me out of that. I noticed you're kind of caught in something. Really? Yeah, and they're helping me out. And all of a sudden, we're bearing one another's burdens. Things are happening and we're growing. If you're not in a life group, you are on life support this that we do, the pep rally that we do every week this will not sustain you i'm not that good a cook so get in a life group where god's word can sink in together invest use your freedom to invest lastly we're going to restore we're going to invest lastly we need to examine he says but let each one test his own work And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. This is a tricky verse because it sounds like pay attention to your own work so that you can be proud of what you've done. But God has not called us to pride because anything that happens as a result in my life had nothing to do with me but him. So it's a little tricky. Here's what I think Paul is saying. Don't think yourself something when you're nothing, invest, wade out into that. But look, while you're out into that, be careful you don't let yourself begin to compare with your brother and sister and live your life completely comparing yourself to them. What you need to do is keep your focus on your own life, I think so that you'll be ready when that same brother comes to you that you've helped out of the muck. And I mean, it's dirty muck. It's muck you didn't want to be in. And you've helped them out. You've invested in them. And now you've got them following Christ. I think what Paul is saying is once y'all are walking together, that same brother or sister might have to call something on your account. And you need to test yourself. You need to watch yourself so that your life will be open to the correction that comes from another brother walking by the Spirit. You need to watch yourself so that your boasting will be in what God is doing in you and not what you're not doing that your brother did. Does that make sense? It's, it's tricky, but I think that's what he's saying. Because the next verse after it says, for everyone must bear his own load. Two different words, burden and load. Burden is something that's weighing me down. A load is a backpack that I put on that I bring the essentials with me on a hike that I put my books in there so that I'll have them for class. The normal stuff that I take, some of you ladies strap your backpack on your side and you have 40,000 of them, they're called a purse. You're taking the essentials with you so that you can do what God has called you to do. You know what that is? Serve one another in love. And sometimes that means restoring. And sometimes that might mean restoring the one who restored you. That's how God wants you to use your freedom. Not as an opportunity to serve yourself, but as an opportunity to help each other stay behind the Spirit so that He might accomplish what he intends to do in all of us. It does us no good if half of our body is ensnared in sin and the other half is looking at them with disdain. That does us no good. We got to invest in the life of our brothers and sisters. So some reminders, some things to remember as we've been called to restore to to invest, to examine, some things that I want to remind you because God's going to give you an opportunity to see where you're not walking with him. That's step number one. If you're not walking by the Spirit, if you're not living by the Spirit, that's step number one. Get in line. Follow the one who's going to lead you where you need to go in every area of your life. But once you're walking with God, not perfect, but just consistent, he's going to show you, brothers and sisters, that he wants you to wade out into their muck for the singular purpose of mending their life, putting them back together. And here's some things I want to remind you that you just need to file away. When seeking to restore a brother or sister at the leading of the Holy Spirit, that's important, God's word, not opinion, must define the transgression. Don't look at them and go to them because they've overstepped what you think. That's way too common in the church. But if God's word clearly says it, And go to them because they need to be free from that. Second, when God leads you to restore someone, God's truth must be communicated. When we're restoring a brother or sister, it's not about us going to them, putting our arms around them, and saying, It's okay, brother. We all fall. It's okay. Let's just get up and go. No, that, that's not, we got to let God's truth be stated. But that's why gentleness, humbleness in action is so important so that when we're sitting down, we're not going, thou shalt not. No, we're going, look, brother, I know it's hard, but this is what God's word says. You, can, you can't do that. You can't say that. You can't think this. You can't keep going down this road. Look what God's word says. If you're going to restore it, the leading of the Holy Spirit, God's truth has got to be communicated. I've already stated this, but restoration is more than just one conversation. That first conversation may be hard, but it's a messy process by which we keep going back and back and back and back. When you're restoring someone by the leading of the Holy Spirit, helping them be restored to functionality, you can validate their feelings. You can say, I understand that you feel that way. You can validate their hurt, but you can never validate or condone sin. It's never okay to try to fix a wrong with a wrong You can validate their hurt. You can validate their pain, but you can never condone sin. That's why gentleness is so important. That's why being wary of yourself, that you don't get caught up in sin as well. Next, when God leads you to to restore a brother, encourage them to let you invite others into the restoration process. Because there are others that can help more than you can help. And you know what? More help can do a lot better at mending and opening that trap and keeping them and helping them out of the muck. So try as much as you can to involve others. Don't involve it without asking, but encourage them to let you involve. Hey, would it be okay if I called my wife? Would it be okay if we share that? Hey, would it be all right if I called the pastor? Would it be okay if I call, you know, whoever? Someone that you know is walking with God. Next, keep lines of communication open. One thing that I've discovered is, is that in my limited time of trying to restore when I have opportunity, sometimes they don't want to hear it. They just want you to leave them alone and they just want you to shut up and quit being so judgmental. You're not trying to be judgmental. That's just what it sounds like to them is they tell you to leave them alone. Sometimes you got to leave them alone. But don't shut the door on them. Leave communication lines open. Shoot them a text every now and then. Wave at them when you see them in the road. Invite them for coffee. Even if they won't respond. Because the last thing is what we got to remember, and that is only God can restore. But let's just make sure that we're using our freedom even if that means swimming out in the muck and going, okay, God, I'm out here, but they won't come out. And he says, just hold what you got. Show them that you're going to stay with them. Show them that they mean that much to you. Use your freedom to stay dirty so that when I get a hold of their heart, you'll be ready to be my hand or at least... A physical representation of my hand as I restore them to functionality if you were the one caught in any transgression wouldn't that be what you'd love to have is a brother or sister who loved you enough to wait out there with you And with gentleness encouraging you back to the place God wants you not judging and I'm going to hang because I I love you that much you know who that looks a lot like you know his name what is it Father we are hurting people A lot of times we put ourselves in the hurt. We get caught in a trap because we've got our eyes off of you. And we are a church that is really bad at restoring. I don't necessarily mean Oasis Church, but we qualify. We like to bite and devour. We like to be the Pharisee who's praying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that tax collector who's also praying, seeking mercy. God, I pray that you would show us the the necessity of walking by the Spirit. Show us, Father, how it's imperative that we live by His lead and how it's our responsibility to see one another when we're caught in sin as worthy of our time because we're worthy of your time. Give us the courage to step into the muck. Give us the courage to wade out deeper than we would want. Give us the compassion, the gentleness we need to be a representative of the ultimate restorer. God, I pray for those that are hurting today. May they hear that there is hope because there is. Maybe today was just a a day where, by extension, I was just allowed to be the hands and feet of all of our brothers and sisters for the one who's here that's caught. God, your word says that confession and repentance brings forgiveness and cleansing from any unrighteousness. May that be the reality of our life right now. Where we confess, we repent, we allow you to do the restoration work that you're so faithful and just to do. Father, we uh, pray for that one who came today and doesn't know Jesus as Savior. They're not caught in sin. Father, they're imprisoned in it. They're condemned by it. No other way but faith in the crucified and risen Savior can provide forgiveness. But faith in Jesus will bring us from darkness into light. From death into new life. And so I pray that you would draw that one who needs to come to know Christ today. For your glory. And if that's you today, let me just invite you. Hang out afterward. Come tell me that you're wanting to trust Christ or that you've trusted Christ, give us an opportunity to walk you through what God's Word says in more detail. There's no reason for you leaving today not knowing for certain that you're God's child. That's His desire for you, and that's our hope as well. So, Father, we leave this day with you. You know what we need. We ask that you'll speak to us where we are. Give us the courage to respond, to give us the power that you've promised to exercise exercise what you want to do in our life. We need you. We love you. We thank you. First, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said?